On this edition of Wealth Track, great value investor Joel Greenblatt on some revolutionary ideas from his new book, Common Sense, The Investor's Guide to Equality, Opportunity, and Growth. Big picture, I'm a capitalist, uh, obviously, but capitalism only works if everyone has a fair chance. And there are so many places where they don't. If you're thinking of places to, to give back or to help change things, the book is really about what can we do either from the, within the private sector or the public sector to change things that pretty much everyone wants to change. That's this week on Consuelo Mac Wealth Track. Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, Clearbridge Investments, a Leg Mason company, Miller Value Funds, Royce and Associates, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. One of the biggest issues to emerge from the pandemic is income inequality. It has become even more pronounced as millions of low-income workers lose their jobs and the much smaller number of high-income workers keep theirs and benefit from a powerful bull market. This week's guest is on a crusade to change this dynamic by giving opportunities to lower-income individuals and their families to achieve economic success. He is great value investor and financial thought leader, Joel Greenblatt. He has a new book, Common Sense, The Investor's Guide to Equality, Opportunity, and Growth. And like Thomas Paine, who successfully campaigned against the monarchical and tyrannical rule of Great Britain over the 13 colonies in 1776 with his widely read pamphlet, Common Sense, Greenblatt is on a crusade to disrupt the established order in a few key areas, including education, corporate hiring, taxation, and immigration. One area ripe for disruption is the education system, which he says is, quote, unfair, unequal, and doesn't make sense for those most in need. Case in point, over 90% of poor, low-income, and minority students don't get a college degree, yet workers with bachelor's degrees earn 73% more than high school graduates, and they, in turn, earn 30% more than high school dropouts. Now, Greenblatt has tackled these inequities personally by co-founding and financing the top-performing Success Academy Charter Network in New York, and he has other real-world solutions to address these gaps. Greenblatt's investment bona fides are also impressive. He is managing principal and co-chief investment officer of Gotham Asset Management, which he founded in 2009 and where he co-manages hedge funds and several hedge fund-like mutual funds, most utilizing long-short strategies. His early claim to investment fame was at his predecessor firm, Gotham Capital, where he co-managed an extremely concentrated hedge fund with 34% annualized returns over 10 years before he closed it to outside investors because he realized its volatility was too difficult for even sophisticated investors to handle. His behavioral insight that the best investment strategy is one that both makes sense and that you can stick with led to the creation of the Gotham Index Plus Fund in 2015. Index Plus combines index investing tied to the S&P 500 with actively managed long-short strategies. Normally, investment strategy would be the focus of our entire conversation. But in today's pandemic pivot, we are starting with an essential prerequisite for a successful capitalist democracy, economic opportunity for all. So I asked Greenblatt why he, a professional money manager, wrote his version of Common Sense. Big picture, I'm a capitalist, uh, obviously. 
but capitalism only works if everyone has a fair chance. And there are so many places where they don't. Uh, you know, if you're thinking of places to, to give back or to uh, help change things, uh, the book is really about what can we do, uh, either from the, within the private sector or the public sector, uh, to change things that pretty much everyone wants to change. So Thomas Paine, let's, let's go back, 1776, Thomas Paine writes this pamphlet. It was a bestseller. It was incendiary. Uh, and it was kind of a common sense approach, act, asking a lot of questions that no one really had asked publicly in such a public way before. And, you know, railing against uh, the tyranny of monarchy and aristocracy, uh, you know, pro-democracy, pro pro-American independence. What are you railing against? He really didn't rail so much against taxes or, uh, you know, oppression. What he, he really uh, looked at things as if he were uh, just off the boat from Mars and not really even looking at 40,000 feet, really from Mars, saying, you know, let's start from the beginning. Who's this king guy anyway? Meaning, you know, who picked him? You know, did uh, did someone hundreds of years ago pick him and now we're stuck with him? Or was there an election or did someone appoint him? And so it really starts from the beginning. And so uh, if you really start to look at problems from the beginning, uh, some things just don't make sense. So if you look at education in our country, uh, the poorest kids are systematically uh, kept from the best schools. Uh, schools are a local affair. Uh, you go to the local school that's nearest to you. Right. Uh, and if that school's not good, uh, parents with means can move or they send their kids to private school. If you are uh, poor or don't have means, uh, you're stuck. And so pretty much everyone, other than those who are poor or without means, have a choice. Whereas, uh, and poor and uh, kids without means don't and everyone else does. So it's unfair from the beginning. And so what ends up happening is those who need it the most get the worst schools. Right. One of the things that I have said in my introduction to you is that you were a co-founder in 2006 of the Success Academy Charter Schools, which have been incredibly successful in taking kids from the exact same poor neighborhoods, minority kids, low-income kids, um, and they've turned out to be you know, more successful or than you know, most public schools uh, throughout all of New York State, including those from very wealthy communities. You're trying to do more with your book, Common Sense, and taking on the educational establishment. So what's the alternative? What, what are you recommending? Well, first, uh, we have to start with the premise. Uh, you know, uh, the best charter schools and the best district schools really prove uh, a key point. Uh, at success, kids with disabilities outperform kids without disabilities in the district schools. Uh, kids who are English language learners outperform, and that used to be called English as a second language, those kids mm -hmm. outperform kids in the district schools where English is their first language. Uh, if you just take a look at the homeless kids, and there's 20,000 kids at success in 45 schools, and if you just uh, look at the homeless kids as a group, they outperform Scarsdale and every one of the wealthiest school districts in, in New York. Uh, poor and low-income kids uh, if you take those as a group, which is, uh, you know, well over 80% of the kids at the school, they outperform gifted and talented schools where you have to test to get into the schools. Uh, black, brown, and white kids all do the same. 
So the idea was, is that with the right supports, kids can really accomplish. Uh, kids of all background uh, can perform at super high levels. And the question is, what can you do with that? And I'll just, you know, say that, uh, that so I'm, I've just come in from Mars and I'm seeing these success stories and I'm wondering, you know, wh why have you gotten such, you know, pushback? Why, why aren't these models being adopted, you know, and adapted throughout the state, throughout the country? What's okay. your solution to this? All right. Well, you know, how do you beat, you know, we spend uh, actually about $700 billion a year, K-12 education and a tr over a trillion dollars a year if you include college. Uh, and so very hard to disrupt, uh, you know, a big organization and, and big spending like that. Uh, so, you know, what I read about in the book, uh, it's something I talked about my kids at Columbia, my, my students at Columbia, I, I asked a question every semester, I say, you know, uh, how do you beat Tiger Woods? Mm -hmm. And the answer is don't play him in golf. Uh, and so the question is, how can we do a roundabout about the system? How can we get around the system uh, to give these kids who clearly have the ability with the right supports to perform at super high levels? And that's pretty much everyone. And so, so what's the roundabout? Yeah, the roundabout is uh, alternative certification, which means uh, the idea is that top companies, you know, the Microsofts, Google, uh, JP Morgan, Facebook, uh, the idea is for them to set standards. Uh, and the standards would be not a college degree, typically, uh, because if you really look, uh, the chances of an inner city kid graduating uh, college is one out of 11. Right. Uh, so if you're poor and in an uh, urban center uh, anywhere in the country, your odds on average are about one in 11 of graduating college. So uh, the idea is for these leading companies to set standards, to say basically, look, a uh, college degree is fine, but if you don't have a college degree, if you can uh, take these courses and do okay, either pass or do well, and pass these tests that we uh, stated, I'm not saying these companies should give the tests. I'm saying they should say which tests, if you pass, and which courses, if you take, uh, if you do that, doesn't have to be college courses, could be courses from anywhere. Uh, if, you, if you do well on these, we'll consider you for a high paying job. And we'll tell you which courses and tests that we will consider. And then what I'm expecting is a whole ecosystem uh, to develop. We don't need government support for this. Uh, what I would hope is once the prize is set, and there's plenty of precedent for this, once the prize of a uh, high paying job is on the table, uh, then uh, there'll be uh, courses that spring up, there'll be online resources that spring up, there'll be tutors that spring up, they can all be rated by uh, just like uh, you rate Uber drivers and Airbnb. Uh, and so they're, they're, they're group rated so that you know who are the good ones and who is uh, getting results uh, for helping kids pass these. Uh, you know, communities can get together to support these. And it doesn't really matter. Uh, it could be creative uh, ability. It could be good at game playing. It could be a million different things that they say correlate well uh, with good employees. So mm -hmm. if there's demand and the, the, the demand is a buyer and the buyer are these leading companies that will hire these people that pass uh, these. And I describe in the book how it can all happen. And right. you know, I go through all the arguments against why it might not work. But the wonderful thing about it is we don't need any government uh, uh, accreditation for any of the courses. We don't need government to set standards. 
this can all be this disruption can all take place and all we have to do is have a buyer one of the lead, you know some of the leading companies set standards other companies can follow them uh, about what uh, produces a good employee and sort of sh short circuit the whole uh, K through uh, college uh, system. The tax system, you think that there's something that can be done immediately uh, to the earned income tax credit. What is it? Sure. Well, uh, number one, earned income tax credit is a terrible name. Uh, I suggested I just changing it to doing the right thing. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I, I point out the uh, uh, that uh, in 2018, you know, we spent $68 billion. It's, uh, it's, the, uh, uh, it's the third biggest social welfare program that uh, we have uh, in the country. So we do have it. Uh, and I show studies saying that the net cost of, of that $68 billion is really closer to $9 billion uh, because of uh, the jobs that people get, the taxes they pay, the children taken out of poverty. Uh, so, so it's huge. And, and all I do is suggest we expand it a little bit, you know, with 68 billion in 2018. So I suggested, uh, we should spend about a trillion dollars. Uh, that's what it would cost to get everyone to, uh, over $15. Uh, and what is an earned income tax credit? It just mm -hmm. says, listen, uh, if your skill set is, uh, contributes about $9, uh, to an employer, uh, to require him to pay you $15 is problematic if you're an economist. Uh, but if the government made up that $6 uh, difference or $7 or whatever it might be, uh, that's okay. Uh, and everyone would still come out all right. So it would cost about a trillion dollars and I go around explaining how we'd make money from that. We talk about the value of taking kids out of childhood poverty and I show studies showing that that costs us $1 trillion a year. So I don't mm -hmm. think this would solve uh, childhood poverty, but I think it would take care of about half of it. And right. so that would be about 500 billion. And then uh, adult medical costs save about 200 billion. So actually we could do it for less than free. And then I back down and say, well, uh, you know, being realistic, uh, we're not gonna take that 68 billion up 15 times to a trillion, uh, but we can triple it to 200 billion and I show all the good that can do. Uh, so it's just crazy that we're not doing it. Yeah. Uh, immigration is, is another um, issue that you feel very strongly about to create growth and opportunity. So how would you change the immigration system? Well, the business round uh, table uh, did a study and showed that the United States was second to last among developed countries uh, in encouraging skilled immigration. Uh, and it's really and explain hard. what skilled immigration is. It's, it's yeah, it's you, know, uh, it, you got to have skills to to be to come in to be like first right. in I line. Right. I mean, one way right? to you know, there's studies showing you know uh, that if if we took in an immigrant who had a graduate degree, uh, the amount of taxes uh, they pay and their children pay uh, versus how much government benefits they get, uh, each one uh, we make a million dollars. Uh, if you have a college, uh, if you have a college, just a college BS, uh, we make a half a million dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's kind of a free gold mine. Uh, we specifically discourage skilled immigration. Right. Uh, and what we do, we're second to last among developed countries. The only country we beat was Japan, and they discourage immigration. immigration period. They, you have to speak right. Japanese. Uh, it's pretty pathetic that we come into second to last. I mean, it would really be tough to lose to Japan. And we already have a great program uh, where the H-1B program, which is 
actually it's a terrible program, but anyone who gets through the gauntlet of making through the program, it, what's good about the program is employers decide who has the skills they want. So it's a one-to-one -one mm -hmm. perfect match. So right. if someone wants to uh, employ you, um, you can employ them. You have to pay a 20% tax for five years on that employee, but there's nothing else. Meaning mm -hmm. if you pay them at least 60 or $70,000 and you're willing to pay the government a 20% tax, which can be used for helping you know, employees who are already here uh, or whatever you want, uh, you can employ them. I said, well, what about the Statue of Liberty? You know, give me your tired, your poor, uh, unskilled immigrants and, and people, refugees and people seeking uh, you know, better life here. Mm -hmm. I, I'm all for that as well. Uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of costs to taking them in. Uh, there's also a lot of cost to helping people who are already here uh, that are in poverty. And all I'm saying is, let's take the million dollars per, uh, 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 you know, skilled immigrant or half a million dollars per mm -hmm. skilled immigrant. By the way, each skilled immigrant creates almost two jobs, Ameri jobs for, uh, you know, Americans who are already here. So right. uh, it's crazy. You make a million dollars, they create two additional jobs. Uh, and I suggest we're nuts. Uh, it's like saying, hey, there's a gold mine over there uh, and we shouldn't do it. And there's really no reason why uh, I think it would be great for this country. Makes it, sense, it, Joel. <laughs> that that, that right. doesn't mean I'll, that it's going to be a now. winning idea. No. I'll shut um, up now. <laughs> okay. Um, retirement plans need to change. Uh, Social Security doesn't work for the bottom half um, of earners. That's what you're saying in your book. What needs yeah. to change? Yeah, so if you're a low earner, uh, your Social Security could be $9,000. If you make in the $20,000 area, uh, you know, in the, in the mid-20s, you maybe make $9,000 a year from Social Security. Mm -hmm. uh, no one has savings in the, you know, in the bottom half of income. Right. No one has any other savings. I mean, the top 10% have plenty of savings and no one else. It's striking and, and terrible. And if you understand compound interest, uh, you understand that the key to compound interest is to uh, start early. Right. You know, young people don't have a lot of money to spare. Uh, poor people don't. So very hard to get started early. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you know, if I said blow up Social Security, uh, that probably wouldn't be a good That's idea. That's not going to happen. No. Uh, I have another suggestion. Okay. Because people love their Social Security. And I understand that uh, it's the third rail to touch it. So mm -hmm. forget that. But what if we supplement Social Security? You know, right now, the idea behind Social Security is you, is sort of there's a relationship between what you put in, what you get out. So it caps out at $137,000 right now. Uh, people don't get taxed above that. And the reason for that is uh, because we don't pay them anymore. Um, and so uh, one suggestion is that we continue to tax people above 137,000 their Social Security taxes. Uh, and they get to keep those. It's a little different. It's not really a tax. It goes into their own private savings account. But maybe you take 15 or 20% of that amount and you give it to young people and people who need those savings so that they can start saving at an early age. And uh, so really we're taking, uh, you know, little Robin Hood, taking from the pe wealthier people, giving it to people who need it more and younger people so that they can start compounding at an early age. Uh, and so that would be one way to do it. But uh, the tax savings for those who are paying, uh, you know, who are saving, you know, paying into uh, their uh, above 137 get to keep most and it'll be, uh, you know, tax advantage. So it really won't cost them very much, if any, you know, once you understand compound interest, it's like fire. 
and we're blow as a as a nation we're blowing it we're completely blowing it uh, we need to put compound interest to work for those who need it the most right what's the proposal that you have that you think is the greatest chance of being put into operation and can you know immediately get off the ground yeah i think we need to disrupt our uh, k through college uh, education system people so alternative certification is something that doesn't need government funding doesn't need government accreditation uh, doesn't need anything. It needs leading companies to set standards. That's it for specific high paying jobs. In investment question for you, uh, I, I'm looking at the S&P 500 and like 22% of the S&P 500 market cap is in five stocks. What, what's your take on that concentration in the S&P 500? Well, you know, those businesses uh, that make up that 22% are some of the best businesses that have ever existed in the history of the world. The network effects, uh, you know, uh, are unbelievable. Their franchises are unbelievable. Uh, so uh, what I would say is there are not hundreds of companies that rhyme with those. Uh, uh, there are hundreds of companies that are priced as if they will be the next Amazon or Google or Microsoft. Mm -hmm. There will not be hundreds of companies that become the next but they're priced that way. Uh, right. So I would say, uh, you know, a lot of the market's expensive, uh, but I don't even think it's those five stocks. I think it's uh, the hundreds of stocks, you know, among the Russell 1000 that are priced of it as if they'll become those next stocks. And there'll only be a handful of, of companies that can possibly be the, some of the best businesses of all time. So I don't think the overvaluation is really in those stocks. I think it's elsewhere in the market, but I can say, uh, that those five companies is not where my worries are. It's really in the hundreds of companies that people are pricing as if they will become those five companies. Are you are are you long or going short? Uh, the the Facebooks and the Amazons and the Microsofts and oh, we're long we're long those companies. They're You're big cash flow generating companies with huge returns on capital, great growth rates, great prospects. Uh, we're very long those. Where we might even be overweight in a few of them. In this, this pandemic market, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing a, a really very strong bull market uh, where the economy is, uh, is really uh, having some serious problems. And certainly among the, you know, populations that we've been talking about that you're most concerned about giving opportunity, does, does that uh, gap kind of concern you of what the market's doing and what the economy's doing? Well, the market's really looking ahead. You know, the pandemic is an acute uh, issue. You know, obviously, right. it's, I don't want to belittle it, uh, but it will end. And, uh -huh. and it'll end sometime in the next year or so. Most of the value of businesses comes from what they're going to earn, you know, a couple of years out and the growth rate from there. Uh, right. So these are like one-time events. But the, the greatness, I guess, of uh, the ability for the government to step in and, and fill the hole, you know, even if you borrowed $10 trillion, if you can borrow it for free, you know, after mm -hmm. inflation, we can borrow for free for 30 years. Uh, it's just a quirk of what's going on right now. So I think we can handle this because it'll end. Uh, and there, there obviously is disruption and employment and the government though can make up for that. And I think they should. So, uh, you know, I know there's uh, so many terrible things that are happening as a result of it, but at least from a money standpoint, we can afford to get through this. And, and, right. and one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, Joel, what would you have us all on some of? Yeah, there's a Vanguard value ETF, VTV is the symbol. And, uh, 
you know, uh, value has taken it on the chin over the last pile of years. And, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, you know, I was looking back at the returns from Gotham Capital when I was running it. And uh, in 1998, you know, we're value investors. Uh, we were down 5%. Mark was up 28.6%. In 99, we were down 5% again. That was our first two years. Of, I started in 85. So first two years we lost money. Uh, 99, we were down 5%. Mark was up over 20%. Uh, but in 2000, Mark was down 9%. We were up 114%. It's not that uh, we were idiots in 98, 99, all of a sudden became geniuses in 2000. It's just we finally got paid for all the hard work we were doing. So I think uh, certain of the companies uh, that uh, are strong cash flow generating companies that earn high returns on capital, uh, you know, are out of favor right now. Uh, because they're not, you know, the flavor of the day and some of those mm -hmm. will come back. So I think they'll, they'll uh, be a good opportunity there um, in some of those value stocks and, and Vanguard has good ETFs that are tax efficient to take advantage of that. Thanks, Joel. Thank you so much and congratulations on Common Sense. Consuelo, thank you for much for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. At the conclusion of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is Read Common Sense, the investor's guide to equality, opportunity, and growth by this week's guest, Joel Greenblatt. As just discussed, Greenblatt identifies key areas that are at the root of the inequality problem and has workable solutions to change them. He shows us that the U.S. can truly offer economic opportunity to everyone regardless of where you come from. As legendary investor Howard Marks said, he recommends this book to anyone who cares about these things. It's not just for investors. In this week's extra feature on WealthTrack.com, we asked Greenblatt for his views on permanent pandemic changes. Meanwhile, please continue to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Have a super weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and a productive one.